We have crossed into a new year, if you have not noticed. Who is actually quite relieved to see 2019 go? Yeah, a few of you. It's funny how it gets, yeah, hands right up <laughs> at the back there. It's funny how, um, you know, at the start of the year we have all these high hopes of a good year and then we get to the end of the year and we're like, oh, I want to see it go. <laughs> and I guess every year has its good things and, you know, and its challenges. And one of the things I've said before is I love sharing a, a message around this time of the year because often, you know, life has slowed down a little bit. We're all maybe still on break. Some of us have probably returned back to work. But, you know, this is a sort of a cruisier time of the year where we get to reflect um, about, you know, where we're at, what we're hoping for the year, what maybe resolutions we want to uh, put into place, goals, what God is speaking to us about the year ahead. Not only the year ahead, but the new decade ahead, which is exciting. But one thing I think we all aspire to in a new year is that it's going to be a good one. Is that not true? Even though, and tragically, it hasn't started that way for many Australians, but we, we hope that it will be a good year. I mean, when we write Christmas cards, we say, wish you a Merry Christmas and, and a Happy New Year. And what we mean by that is a, a prosperous year, a good year. I mean, it would be pretty terrible if we wrote, wish you a Merry Christmas and a lousy New Year. We don't aspire to that. We want it to be good. But what makes it good somewhat largely depends on us. And I want to ask you the question this morning... What are you taking into 2020? And is what you're taking good? Or are there some things you're taking into 2020 that are maybe not so good, maybe a bit lousy? You know, we don't know what this year holds for us personally or corporately as a church, as a community. We do not know all the things that are going to take place in this year. Some things are truly out of our control. But some things are in our control. Things like the way we think and how we're going to respond to situations that, that we come across by. So there are things that we can control. And so what I'll ask you today is what are you taking into 2020? Are there some things that you're really ready to go, you know what, I ain't taking that into 2020. I'm, I know we've crossed over into the new year, but I really want to let those things go because this is a brand new year. I think it may be some time this morning to catch some foxes. So this morning we're going to go hunting and I'm declaring hunting season is open. Yeah. Now, for all the vegans and the animal activists in the place, am I talking about literally hunting foxes? No. So don't shoot me, please. I'm going to talk to you and unpack this morning what I'm talking about. Why are we going fox hunting? Well, what I'm going to share with you this morning is that we're going to catch some little things, some little things that maybe have crept up in our world that are not so good and are actually robbing us of what God intends for us to enjoy and experience. Who here wants more joy, love and peace in their world? I don't think anyone would say no to that. Well, it may mean this morning catching a fox or two. It may mean you have to nip some things in the bud this morning. And so this... What, what's all this fox talking about? Well, let's open our Bibles. If you have your Bibles, and we'd love for you to talk about, open to Song of Solomon, chapter 2. And 
This morning, I don't know if we've got the... No, we don't. Thanks, Gabby. Um, I want to read it to you in the Passion Translation. I've got the Passion Translation in my hand. What I think we have on the screen is going to be the NIV. So if you need to follow it on the screen, so be it. But if you can listen to my words this morning, because the way it's written in the Passion Translation is absolutely beautiful. Now, a little bit about Song of Solomon. This is a song. It's a love song. It was penned by King Solomon more than 3,000 years ago. He wrote many songs. He wrote many books in the Bible. Ecclesiastes is one of them, Proverbs. But this is a beautiful love song and it's been touted that it's, you know, the love between Christ and his church, but it's also between the love between a lover and his beloved. Okay, so we're going to read from chapter, sorry, verse 10, so chapter 2, verse 10. And as I read these words, I want you to hear it can be a prophetic declaration over our church right now and over our lives. Okay, so, arise, my dearest, hurry, my darling, come away with me. I have come as you have asked to draw you to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one, the season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended. And the season of hiding is over and gone. The rains have soaked the earth, hallelujah, yes, Lord, and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing and pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there is change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me. For you are my dove, hidden in the split open rock. It was I who took you and hid you up high in the secret stairway of the sky. Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes of worship and lovely your voice in prayer. You must catch the troubling foxes those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship, for they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I've planted within you. Will you catch them and remove them for me? We will do it together. Hallelujah. It's such a beautiful song, and it is using poetic language, and it's using metaphors. And it is about the love between a, a beloved and his lover. But what I love about it, if you can think about the time, if any of you have been in love before, when everything's exciting and everything is new and everything is, has promise and destiny, there's this warning that comes with the, with the budding of new things that there is something that wants to destroy it. Little things destroy things of value. It only takes little things. Why? Because from little things, big things grow. That's what Paul Kelly sung about. 
From little things, big things grow. And so the woman warns her lover, whilst everything is great, we've got to look out for the little things that may spoil this relationship. And I think this truth applies not just to our love relationships, but anything that we hold of value. Our relationship with God, our work, our future, everything that we hold of value, we need to look for the little things that may spoil it. So what does it start with? It starts with knowing your enemy. When I became a Christian, I um, went to a church and the pastor there would often, probably every week, talk about the devil and the enemy. And, you know, it was great. For someone who was new to Christianity, um, it really explained to me that we, there is a spiritual warfare around. It really put that into me that we have an enemy and he's there to rob, steal, kill and destroy. But one of the things I did notice is that the people there would often attribute everything to the enemy. And I kind of think we can give the enemy far much to credit for things that have nothing to do with him but more to do with our own doing. But I don't want us to be naive and think that we don't have an enemy because we do. We very much do. The Bible from all the way from Genesis through to Concordance tells us that we have an enemy and his job is to destroy everything that God has created, everything that bears the image of God. He is there to, to ruin that. We are not just physical beings. We are spiritual beings. We don't just live in a material world unlike what Madonna thinks. We live in a spiritual world. And Ephesians 6.12 tells us, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, if you see something and it seems to be against you, it's not your true enemy. Your true enemy lies in the spiritual realm. The Bible is also very clear that this enemy wants to defame, as I just mentioned, everything that bears the image of God. And so the Bible is full of warnings of how the enemy works. He's described as a serpent. In 2 Corinthians 11.3 it says, But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The devil is a deceiver. All he needs to do is twist truth ever so slightly, ever so little, almost unbearably, you don't even notice. And yet it's still not truth. Even if he twists it ever so slightly, that's what he did to Eve and that's what he'll do to us. He's a deceiver. He's also described as a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He waits for the, most, the, the opportunity when we are most vulnerable to attack. If you've ever watched one of those beautiful David Attenborough um, nature documentaries and, you know, it, it focuses on a lion and the lion is just prowling around ever so gently and he watches maybe a group of uh, impala or, you know, he just waits for the young one to maybe be separated from the pack. And when does he kill? He goes from when he's the, the young one is separated, isolated from the pack and most vulnerable 
that's what the enemy does. He waits for us. He wants us to be isolated. He wants us to be vulnerable. And that's when he attacks. The, the devil is also described as a fox. Now, you might think he's a cute furry number like this picture up on the screen. He's cute, isn't he? I just almost want to have him in my backyard. But no, I don't. Don't be fooled by his cuteness. Because when you and I are sleeping at night, when we are most not alert, he's hunting. And he causes havoc for farmers, right? And, you know, Bayside area where, where, where I particularly live, it's full of foxes. I get up early in the morning, often around 5.30 and go for a walk. And because it's still at the cool of the morning, I'll often see foxes coming in and out of people's um, backyards and houses. And I know that I have one because I don't have a fence, so you can easily just enter into my backyard and I've got poop, fox poop everywhere. And that's what foxes do, they leave their poop. <laughs> they do, they create havoc. You speak to any farmer, they, they look for their opportunity when we're not alert and awake to hunt. So there are two types. So what do we need to do this morning? We need to search out those foxes. We've got to make sure those little sly things don't take what God intends for us to enjoy and to experience in 2020 and the decade ahead. It's time for us, church, to wake up, to be alert, right? Not to be complacent. We've got our part to play in this to make sure that he doesn't steal what belongs to us. It's time to search out the foxes. We've all got foxes. Don't sit there and, and think, oh, I don't have a fox. No, no, no. If you are made in the image of God, you've got a fox. We've all got foxes. We just have to be awakened to them. So there are two types of foxes that we're going to search out this morning. The first fox is, starts with little thoughts. Everything starts with a thought. The fact that you're here this morning starts with a thought. The things that you're wearing, the things you're going to do today, everything starts with a thought. You know, experts estimate that we think between 50,000, that's conservative, to 80,000 thoughts a day. That's crazy. I can't even think that I think that many thoughts. That's roughly about 2,000 to over 3,000 thoughts an hour. Now, I think I'm more on the 2,000 spectrum. People like Pastor Christy, who I see often, I think she's more over the 3,300 <laughs> thoughts an hour. You know, there's some people who just constantly, you know, boom, 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 boom. They're thinking lots of different things. We're told to, that we need to capture our thoughts. Now, I kind of thought, wow, when we're thinking 2,000 thoughts a minute, sorry, an hour, conservatively, how do we do that? It almost made me think, you know, that's going to put stress on me. But we need to capture thoughts that are not good, yeah. that go against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You needing to go to the bathroom is not a thought that you need to capture right now unless it's going to affect me somehow, which it won't. But if you have a thought that's going against the knowledge of God, against God's word, against the character of God, against the will of God, they're the thoughts that we need to capture. 
Why? Because thoughts have pathways. Every thought has a pathway. And so we need to think about the things that we think, even those little thoughts. What pathway is it ultimately going to lead me on? This scripture talks about demolishing arguments and every pretension. So we're not only just to capture them, we're to demolish things that have been going around in our head that are going against the knowledge of God. Now, when I think about demolish, I don't think of, oh, yeah, you've got to go, nice and, you know. No, 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 demolish has some aggression to it, does it not? So this morning I want us to channel our inner lumberjack. Have a look at this picture. Right, that's what I want us to do with thoughts, okay? Thoughts that go against the knowledge of God, we need to demolish. We need to cut them down. We're not just keeping them there. We need to get aggressive about things that are robbing us of what God intends, arguments and pretensions, things that we think about over and over that ultimately when you stop and think about it, where is that thought taking you to? Is it producing good fruit in your life? Or is it going to take you somewhere negative? What's the measuring stick? How do I know which thoughts stay and which thoughts have just got to be chopped down? Well, Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That is our measuring stick, okay? The problem is that when we don't capture these little thoughts, they build. And they don't, they don't stay little anymore. We, when we're not disciplined in reigning in thoughts that are contrary, what happens is we don't exercise self-control. And when we don't exercise self-control, it makes us very vulnerable. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. If you think about a city in old medieval times, the way a city would protect themselves would be to have a wall. Now, this scripture is saying if a city without a wall is without protection. Why? Because of self-control. And self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit, but it's also a muscle that we have to exercise, that we have to discipline ourselves bit by bit constantly. The more you do it, the more you become, it becomes natural to do, excuse me, to do. So we need to exercise self-control because those thoughts will ultimately lead us on a pathway of destruction, which is what the enemy wants. The next fox that we need to look out for is little attitudes. Oh, this is a doozy. Little attitudes. Okay. The problem with attitudes is that you may think of something in here and you think it just stays in here, but ultimately when it's not dealt with, it starts to come out in your attitude. As a man thinks, so he is. And our attitudes are contagious. Been around someone who's got an amazing positive attitude? Don't you feel good? You just want to be around them. They see things optimistically. They inspire faith in you. Think about the opposite. Think about a person who doesn't have a good attitude, who maybe have a critical attitude or bitter attitude. And how does it make you feel? Yuck. And it rubs off. Hang around that enough, it will rub off 
and, and taint what you, how you see things. Attitudes are contagious. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Why? Because attitudes are contagious. You hang around, you might have a great attitude, might be a great character. You hang around people with bad attitude long enough, it will affect you. Galatians 5.9 says, A little yeast works through a whole batch of dough. Positive or negative, a little yeast. Now, I want to premise this by saying we all need safe places to vent, don't we? You have a bad day, you might not have such a great attitude and you just want to blow off some steam and you want to share it with someone. And I think we need to have places that we do that. But can I say, the people that you end up venting to, ask yourself the question, do you give them the permission to challenge your attitude, to challenge the way you think? Or are you just looking for people to say yes to you, to agree with you? Because the problem with attitudes is that they develop by our permission and the permission of others. And so it's really important if you want to walk the walk that you have people in your life that you trust enough, that love you enough, that will go, hey, look, yeah, got it that you've had a bad day and this and that, but look, you are developing a bit of a you know, negative attitude, a bit of a bitter attitude. Maybe you're being really critical and this is going to affect you. You need people in your life that can speak truth to you. You know, I love when I look at the Bible for its... uh, I see a a book, several books, that is honest. We read about characters in the Bible that God doesn't leave out the gory details. He leaves it all in there for us to learn from. And you've got godly characters that, you know, through circumstances and situations, they rose above and had an amazing attitude. You think about people like Joseph, sold into slavery, put into prison, and yet he kept his attitude good. And because of that, it took him into his future to be a prime minister. People like Ruth, David, King David... Even Mary, Jesus' mother, people who went through situations and circumstances but they chose to retain a good attitude. And then you see people who are godly people but because of situations and circumstances they didn't retain a good attitude. They developed a negative attitude and it cut short their future. People like Cain who killed his brother, Abel. People like King Saul, Absalom. Absalom is King David's son. And because he wanted justice for his sister, he, he had a bitter, resentful attitude towards his father and it cut short his future. So attitudes matter. Attitudes take us into our future or it cuts it short. And so we need to deal with those things and make sure that the little thoughts and little attitudes are nipped in the bud. Because if not, they ultimately become acts that have a big impact. At the end of the day, we don't want those little thoughts and attitudes to affect our future. And the problem is, if we don't rein them in, they will end up being acts that have an impact on ourselves and have an impact on the relationships, the people that are around us. We need to be nipping in the bud, otherwise we're sowing acts of the flesh. What are acts of the flesh? 
Galatians 5 verses 19 to 21 lists a whole lot of acts of the flesh. They are sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like, it says. And if we don't rein those in, it says that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Romans 1 talks about people who cause strife, who gossip, who are slanderers, who are arrogant and boastful. They're all acts of the flesh. We don't end up building the kingdom of God when we sow acts of the flesh. We end up tearing down the kingdom of God. That joy, that love, that peace that we wanted to experience is part of the kingdom of God. So who are you going to be this year? Are you going to be a builder of the kingdom of God or are you going to be a tearer? Well, I'm assuming because you're here today that you want to be a builder of the kingdom of God. I'm going to answer that question for you. But it means checking where we're at. Because any one of us could sow an act of jealousy. We may not jump to witchcraft, but we may do one of, one of those other things that is listed. So we need to check ourselves and where we're at. So what do we do this morning? Well, we hunt the foxes down. And it starts with being real. It's time for us to stop and check ourselves This message, I don't want anyone going, ha-ha, this is for you and, you know, sort of elbowing your husband or your wife or your friend. This is a message for ourselves. This is a time to check ourselves. Where are we at? Where am I at? What needs, where is my thought life taking me? And can I be honest with myself? Can I do the necessary work to just stop and think? That's really hard to do in today's age, to stop and think. We're always on the go. And because we're always on the go, we don't often stop and think about the things that we're thinking about. And so we need to stop and think and go, okay, where is this thought taking me? The other week, I had a thought and, um, and basically I was comparing myself to somebody else. And the thought pretty much went, well, I have to do better. It wasn't just I have to do better. It was I have to do better than them. Now think about that thought. Where would that thought take me? It takes me down a pathway of jealousy, envy, and ultimately pride. Because you know what? God has gifted me through my personality. He has a plan for me. And I don't need to compare myself to anyone else. Right? But a simple thought like that not reined in has an ultimate pathway. Okay, so this is why it's serious, church. We need to do the necessary work. And so in that moment, I confessed to God. And that comes to my second point, we get help. Confession is powerful. The moment I recognised that thought, I went, right, God, I don't want that thought taking a hold on me. And so I'm confessing it before you, and I confessed it also to somebody else. Because I think it's powerful to not just confess to God, but also to someone else who can hold you to account. And so I did that. The Bible says when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And I asked his help. Help me every time I have a thought like that. And the person that I was comparing myself with, I blessed their socks off in my prayer. Help me with my insecurity, Lord. 
help me deal with this area. When I preached this message the other week at, at Cheltenham, um, I live with my sister and, I, and the next, she heard this message and the next morning she said, well, what little foxes do I have? And we had a simple conversation of, well, I don't know, what are you thinking about? And she goes, oh, I don't know. And then she started saying, well, I think this. And I said, well, if you think about where that thought's going to take you in the pathway, it's ultimately fear. And just having a conversation with your spouse, your friend, if you're thinking, I don't know, I don't have any idea what, what thoughts... Just a simple conversation. What's taking up real estate in your mind at the moment? Right? And where is it taking you? Lastly, it's great to uh, be real. It's great to confess. But we also need to replace. We need to replace those thoughts with God's word. And it's, we have to be disciplined in pulling those thoughts down and replacing it with what God's truth and God's word says getting soaked in the word, getting scriptures out and going, right, no, no, this is what God says and standing on that word, meditating on God's word, meditating on his truth until it becomes, it permeates out of your pores so that the minute those thoughts come in, you go, no, nah, that's a lie, this is the truth. Amen? So 2020, what's it going to be? What kind of year is it going to be for you? Is it going to be a good year? What part are you going to play in making this year a good year? It comes largely down to how we think and respond to situations. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to take any little fox into this year. I want to be disciplined and self-controlled in making sure that I play my part in this.